Welcome everyone to today's class. We're continuing chapter 14 on meditation. Any questions before we begin? Shalabin, question on meditation? Not yet. Okay. So meditation is the last spiritual practice. Once you have reduced the bulk of your desires, mind is now relatively free of agitations. Desires are reduced, no longer bothering you no longer agitating you to fulfill them. In Sanskrit they say puripurna, meaning all fulfilled. You don't need nothing. Mind is now calm. Now you're ready for meditation. Then for this continued practice of meditation, you reach the gate of spiritual enlightenment. Emerge with the one reality. Brahman. Can you imagine that state of Puripurna, complete fulfillness, no desires for anything? Can you imagine that state? It's hard to imagine. So this process you can achieve in this lifetime. You know, in religions we say, if you do this many mara, you do this many pujas, you go to this many pilgrimage, you help the poor, all good things. When you do all those things, when you die, you'll go to heaven, they say, in all religions. Heaven being a better place than the opposite we call hell, isn't it? We don't know if this happens or not. No one has come back and told us. No one told us what heaven is like or what hell is like. So what we're talking about is achieving it here now, not waiting till you die and then find out where you go. We're talking about it now. It's possible now in this lifetime. That's the big difference. You put in this effort, you get these results. Just as hard as the harder you work, the more money you earn. Same thing. So there is a proper procedure in how to meditate, which is what we are studying in this chapter. Last week we discussed the technique of meditation. We said a human being is supreme amongst all living beings because 
Why is a human being more supreme? Why is it over animals? Anybody? Yeah, Migna. Because they have subtle intellect. We well, first of all, we have an intellect which animals don't, and on top of that, we have a subtle intellect. What's the difference? While you're on the on that topic, what's the difference? Um, in I think gross intellect is just general. I'm not like sort of towards the world and then subtle intellect is more to higher powers or understanding higher power. So there are two types of intellect, gross intellect for thinking, reasoning in the terrestrial world. They both think. The gross allows you to think in the terrestrial world. All worldly thoughts, all worldly thinking is done by the gross intellect. Subtle intellect to achieve, to conceive, Transcendental, God. To be able to differentiate between the real and the unreal. We say this world is unreal. The self is real. So the intellect is the same. But whenever you are thinking worldly things, using gross, thinking beyond the world, transcendental, mystical, God, subtle. Is everyone clear on that? Adiman, you clear on that? We said last week, the mind is a continuous flow of thoughts, like film in a projector. As the film goes through the projector, you see an image. As our thoughts go through our mind, we see an image, this world. No, no thoughts, no world. Just like in a projector, when the film runs out, there is no more picture. Similarly, no thoughts, no world. <laughs> can everyone turn their mics off, please? I can hear some background noise. No thoughts, no world. What remains is pure consciousness. You become one with the consciousness. Every night we go through this. Deep sleep, no mind, no thoughts, no intellect, no world. Just that pure consciousness. Practice of the three yogas reduces our desires. Mind becomes introverted. Most of our minds are extroverted. They flow towards the world. All our thoughts are towards the world. What's for lunch after this class? Going towards the world. What's the plan for tonight, this week? We have no plans, we're all in lockdown. But still the mind can go there. Mind can still desire it. We need to bring it inwards. Change our focus. The mind is now calm. With a, with a calm mind, we chant a mantra, a word symbol, example, Om. Mind repeats the mantra in the mind while the intellect observes. This is meditation. 
is the process of keeping the mind focused on one thought with the exclusion of all other thoughts. So it's a matter of concentrating on that one thought. You, you, you say, you chant the mantra, Om, Om, or any mantra, Om. Slowly reduce it, Om, Om, to a whisper. And then slowly, it dissolves. No thought flow. No thought flow, no mind. Intellect, which was bringing it from all directions to the chant, is no longer there because there's nothing for it to observe. No mind, no intellect. What remains is pure silence, pure consciousness, the self within you. That's the process. Scientific process of exhausting your thoughts to expose the self within. We also said undisciplined thoughts are mental indulgence. When the mind is free to think about anything, its mental indulgence increases your desires. When the thoughts are controlled by the intellect, this is meditation. The purer the mind, the easier to meditate. So that's the prerequisite for meditation, a pure mind. Free of, free of the germs of desires. That's what we covered last week. Any questions? So um, I did text on the group regarding what intellect is used. And we clarified that when you're thinking of meditating, general meditation, then using the gross intellect. When you're meditating, thinking of the self to reach that state, using the subtle intellect. Okay, any clarification before we begin? Everyone clear? Very clear? Good. Okay, so let's start. Principle of meditation. The principle underlying meditation is, as you think, so you become. Thinking, <clears throat> thinking is conscious thought force, not mere mental indulgence when your mind on its own flows towards an object. Instead, let your intellect set an objective, a goal in your life. Let it constantly channel your thought and effort towards the goal. You shall gain your objective. The same principle works in the spiritual field. Set self-realization on your objective in life. Let your intellect shift the mind's focus from the world to the self within. Keep the mind steady in single-pointed meditation upon the self. You then become the self. You attain the state of self-realization. The principle of meditation is, as you think, so you become. See, in, in life, it works the same way. So as you think, so you become. Thoughts, desires, action. 
So you think, and the thought arises, which then turns into desires, which turns into action. So what are you thinking? So thinking is when you're consciously thinking of something. The opposite is when the mind on its own flows towards an object. You see a, you see a lovely rose and the mind sees the rose and then it starts thinking of the rose. No intellect. What lovely color, what smell. And your mind just goes somewhere. That isn't thinking. That's just mental indulgence. When you're daydreaming, it isn't a thought. The mind is doing its own thing. Can you see the, the difference, Meghna? You see the difference? The intellect is making the mind think of something or the mind is doing its own thing. Big difference. No conscious, there is, in other words, there's no conscious thought towards the object. Uncontrolled thoughts. As you think, so you become. So in the material world, we set a goal. The intellect sets a goal. Then you channel your thoughts towards that. You eventually reach that goal. I want to sell a thousand units in this week. You've set that goal. The intellect has set that goal. And now you're thinking in that way and you're trying to fulfill that. So the same applies in the spiritual world. Set your goal on something higher. For example, I want to be a better human being. I want to reduce my desires. I want to reach that state of self-realization. And set the intellect to think, focus on that. Shift your thoughts from the world to the self. Eventually you will achieve this. So the whole process is merely just to change the way you focus on life, from external to internal. That's all it is. How can you do that? What would aid you to do that? Any idea? What would aid you to change your focus from external to internal? Any ideas? Have a gentle you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it knowledge and reading about it? Because they right. the knowledge, what we've learned so far, read about and reinforce that's what we've been seeing, that that should help. Knowledge. Knowledge of the self, knowledge of something higher, knowledge of the spirit within you. As you gain that knowledge, you're able to think more. See, before you ever came to these classes, you never knew anything about this spirit, this self. As you're gaining this knowledge, you're understanding more. Your mind is going, your intellect mind is going towards that. Even for one instance in the day, it thinks of the self. And what has caused that is knowledge. So the more knowledge you gain, the more you can become introverted. No knowledge, no introversion. Everything's external. Is that, does that make sense? Is that clear? 
So whatever makes you think of that higher inside, that will allow you to become introverted. Ravi. Realization of the self is defined as desirelessness, thoughtlessness. If that be so, how can the thought of self in meditation bring about the state of thoughtlessness? It seems paradoxical, but it works in actual practice. When you hold the mind focus in single-pointed concentration upon a mantra, word symbol, the thought ultimately dissolves into silence, into the enlightened state of thoughtlessness. Sankacharya explains this phenomenon in his text, Atma Buddha. By, this, by the samal of purifying water with a cleansing agent known as Katakana powder, the powder acts in the same way as alum does for cleansing water of its impurities. The powder is sprinkled on the surface of the impure water. It forms a slimy film on top. Fine particles of suspended impurities stick to the bottom of the film. The film becomes heavier. It goes down gradually. More impurities stick to it. In the process, all the impurities settle down to the bottom along with the film. The significant part of the process is that the cleansing agent itself settles down along with the impurities. Pure water stands above it. So it is with the process of meditation, the divine self is polluted with thoughts. The thought of the mantra displaces all other thoughts and itself disappears in the heat of meditation, exposing the supreme self that lies beyond thought. So what this paragraph is saying is that the saying that self-realization is defined as a state of desirelessness, thoughtlessness, meaning no thoughts in the mind. So if that is the case, how can the thought of self in meditation bring about the state of thoughtlessness? It's saying you have to think of something. How is that possible? When you're chanting this mantra, how is that thought transferred into thoughtlessness? So he's explaining. Saying when you hold the mind focused in a single pointed concentration upon a mantra, the thought ultimately dissolves into silence. And Shankacharya, remember we did Bajagovindam? He wrote Bajagovindam. He explains in his text, Atma Buddha. Atma Buddha is another text. It's uh, all in Atma Buddha, everything talks about the self. Knowledge of the self. That's all it talks about. It is a book that we study actually, um, Atma Buddha, knowledge of the self. So he says, how can it do that? So he gives this example, Kataka nut powder. So in India, they use this special powder, alum. And if you've got a glass of impure water, they sprinkle some of this powder on top. And what happens, it creates a film. And as the powder goes down, sinks to the bottom, it takes all the impurities 
and takes it to the bottom. And what is left is pure water. So it's saying that this mantra works in the same process. The divine self is polluted with thoughts. Thoughts of the mantra displaces all other thoughts and itself disappears in the heat of meditation. So when you're chanting Om, 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 or any mantra, it gets rid of all other thoughts because you're concentrating on that. And then ultimately, even that dissolves. The thought, the chanting of Om displaces all other thoughts and eventually dissolves into silence one which is the state of self-realization. It's hard to understand, but you have to accept that when you're at that state, when you're chanting that mantra, it will get rid of all other thoughts and that thought itself will disappear. Is there any questions? It's like I said, this, part, this, this, um, top, um, this chapter, there's less philosophy, it's more, um, how to practice, it's more of that. But you know, even understanding this, it clears in your head that there is a process to reach that goal. Yeah, it's been written down, but that gives you confidence. If I do this, yeah, I'll reach that state. When I get to that state, this is what I need to do. Any questions? Kevin, any questions? Is it, does that make sense? Have I explained it properly? That one thought displaces all other thoughts. That's all you need to remember in the process of meditation. So we talk about this uh, symbol, Om. What does Om mean? Why is it so powerful? We're going to talk about that. Any ideas? What is this symbol, Om? Any idea? Om, we all talk about it. We all know what it means or what it is. We say it, but what is it? Why do we, why is it uh, got this uh, power behind it? Any idea? Om, Ravi. They say it's the sound of the sound of the universe. It's in tune. It balances everything. We'll say it. Why do we say it? What does it mean to us? What does it do to us when we say it? Peace. 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 It gives peace, you're saying. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the vibration it creates that gives us the calmness. Vibration it creates when you say Om. So when you say Om, it, it creates peace for you. Yeah, okay. That's better enough. Yeah, these are all relevant. Um, helps you to maybe go to sleep, say Om when you're in bed. Single pointed thought takes away any other thoughts, helps you to nod off. Anything else? Om. Why is it used in meditation? So we're going to discover what, what does this Om represent? 
Yeah, the symbol Om. Yeah, Shilavan? Is it because it's a single symbol? Just a single, single symbol. symbol? Okay. And the way you say it, because you have to have your, your mouth in a certain way, so you, although your vibrations are coming out, a lot of it is kept within you. Yeah, you're all right. We're going to ex understand exactly why. Yeah. When you finish today's class, you'll have a full understanding of the mantra Om. Okay, let's start. Meghna? Oh, is it uh, Ravi? Sorry. Is it Ravi? Yeah. Oh, please. The symbol Om. Om is acclaimed as the most powerful word, word symbol of Brahma the supreme reality, God. It is known as Pranava. Pranava means that which pervades life. Om is used in meditation by spiritual seekers. Brahman is the ultimate goal a human being can aspire to reach. One cannot reach it directly through the body, mind or intellect. Brahma is not something that, you sense, that your sense organs can perceive, nor is it an emotion your mind can feel, nor a thought your intellect can conceive. It remains unknown. Most people need a known idol to reach an unknown ideal. Some need a gross idol with a form, a stone, metal, or any solid substance. Others can do with a subtler form, like fire. Thus, fire has been a common idol of worship in many religions. The subtlest idol is sound. It is considered subtlest since only one of the five sense organs here can con contact it, and of all sounds. Om is acclaimed the most neutral, most natural. potent, sorry, natural, most potent. There are reasons for the choice. Okay, so Om, what is, why is it used? It, you, it reminds you of the higher. Om reminds you of Brahman. Om is used by meditators since it is the most powerful word symbol of Brahman. Why is it the most powerful word symbol of Brahman? We're going to find out. Reaching that state of Brahman is the ultimate goal of human life. But it's saying you cannot reach it with your material equipment. You can't reach that state with the body, the physical body. You can't use your five senses, touch, hear, smell, or taste Brahman. You can't contact it. Brahman is not an emotion that the mind can feel. Brahman is not a thought in the intellect. So Brahman, God, is not known. It is unknown to us. Yeah, we have some idea. God is all-pervading, etc. But we don't really know. So how do we conceive Brahman? How do we think of God? How do we think of God generally in in the world, how do we think of God? Any, anybody? How do we think of God? What process do we use to remind us of God? Are we? You do your daily puja, 
when you mm -hmm. get up in the morning as such or evenings you focus on that at the time you're giving yourself time and rituals allowing you to think of what else one main thing that helps us yeah uh, magna is it visual like idols and idols so most people need an idol a murti krishna murti everyone's got a krishna murti in their house ganesha murti ram bhagwan murti shiva Whatever murti is that reminds you of God, you have that in your house. It's different for different people. These idols are solid. They have a form made from various materials, clay, gold, silver. So most people need that. Because some people cannot identify with murtis. It doesn't remind them of God. They, might, they may find that something like fire, which is subtler, they worship fire to represent God. Fire is more subtle. You know, when we do pujas, we do fire. Devo. Then some people... They can identify with even something subtler, which is sound. The subtlest idol is sound. So the more sense organs that can contact the object, the grosser it is. For example, murti, representing God, can be seen, can be touched. You can smell, taste. Four sense organs can contact the murti. All with me. Yeah. Fire, we said, is subtler. You can see fire, feel the fire in the form of heat. So less sense organs can contact it. Subtlest is sound. Only the ear can contact sound. So the more subtler. then the more potent it is. The most powerful of sound is Om. Of all sounds, Om is the most powerful, most potent. Any idea why? Of all sounds. Om is the most powerful of all sounds. Vanita? Is it because of the vibration it creates in your body when you make the noise, like the hertz it creates? More feelings. Yeah, yeah, okay. Shilavan? Uh, when you say the word Om, you have to really say it from your navel to come out, not just say it. You have, to, you have to emphasize on saying it. That's why it's the most powerful, you're saying? Other yes. words, other words, you don't do it in that way. Is that, is that what you're saying? Which is, you're, you're right. Absolutely right. We're going to go more, slightly more technical than that. You are right. So there's two types of sounds that we as humans make. 
First of all, are we um, comfortable with understanding the idol is more grosser version of reminding of God? Yeah, fire is more subtler because less senses. And sound is the most subtlest because only one sense can contact it. So the more senses that contact it, the grosser it is. Yeah? You're all happy with that. Okay. So there's two types of sound. Articulate, inarticulate. So what does that mean? Articulate is knowledge, understanding by intellect, such as a language, English, Hindi, French. You need to know that language to be able to communicate. That is considered as articulate sound. Inarticulate sound is tonal, universal. It deals with feelings, emotions of the mind. So I'm going to give you an example. Articulate, inarticulate. If you laugh, doesn't matter what language you speak, everyone will understand you're happy. Inarticulate. It communicates happiness. If you're crying, immediately the sound communicates unhappiness. Babies don't speak any language. But from the noises they make, you can understand what they're trying to communicate. Inarticulate sounds. Music communicates happiness or sadness. As a ghazal by Jagjit Singh can generate sadness or joy, depending on what he's singing about. But it's just sound. He may be in Urdu, it doesn't matter, you don't understand it, you don't speak Urdu, but it still communicates sadness or happiness. Music. That uh, violin, Schindler's List, they, they, everyone has heard it. It makes you feel sad, it makes you think. But, and it's the same, no one's going to feel happy by hearing that. It invokes feelings, inarticulate. You don't need to know any language. Is everyone clear on that? Yeah? Articulate, the intellect understands. Inarticulate, sounds, you feel. So the beautiful thing about the mantra Om, the symbol Om, is it is both articulate and inarticulate. It is both. It's tonal and has a meaning. You see the words Om, automatically understand it has something to do with spirituality. When you hear someone chanting Om, you automatically know it is something spiritual. No matter what nationality you are, Russian, Chinese, American, someone is chanting Om, it invokes something in you. So it's articulate and it's inarticulate. You read the mantra Om, it makes you think of God or something spiritual. So it has a deep meaning when you read it and also when we chant it. It has a great impact on us. That's why it's a very special mantra. These together 
These two together help us attune to the self. That's why the power of OM. Inarticulate and articulate. See, you, 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 a Russian meets a Chinese. Neither of them speak the language. The Russian smiles, Chinese knows. Yep, it's a deal. <laughs> if they're doing a business deal. <laughs> so, inarticulate communication. Any questions? So that's why OM is special. Okay, next paragraph. Sound can be classified under two categories, inarticulate and articulate. Inarticulate sound, also known as intonation, intonation, deals with feeling, emotion of the mind, concerns the heart, whereas the articulate sound, also known as alphabetical, can be recited in the letters of the alphabet. It deals with knowledge, understanding by the intellect, concerns the head. However, articulate sound has a limited application. It can be transacted only by those who have gone through the particular training, learnt that language. Imagine a, per a Persian meeting a Russian. One tries to communicate to the other in one's language. Neither of them understands the other. But when one laughs or cries, the other instantly knows he is happy or unhappy. Such communication is inarticulate, intonational. A universal way by which even babies and animals can communicate. Music is another example of intonation. The sound of music has a positive effect on beings. It produces great results. The symbol OM has the distinction of being both articulate and inarticulate, alphabetical and intonational. It has a deep philosophical significance. While the chant of OM has an extraordinary effect on human beings, the two aspects together help an individual attune with the eternal being. That's the difference. We've already explained it. That's why Aum is a very important symbol. Why it has that meaning. Now, a lot of you have said about chanting Aum or the way you pronounce Aum. That's the next paragraph. Aum comprises of three sounds. A-U-M. Yeah, you see it written as A-U-M. So when Om is chanted, it comes out as A-U-M, A-U-M. So A is a guttural sound from the throat, as many of you said. U, the middle of the mouth, and M, when the mouth closes. So you say Om, Om. So OM covers the whole spectrum of all sounds. There's no sound beyond it. When you close your mouth to say, mm, there is no other sound after that. 
You cannot say any sound because the mouth is closed. You have to say it with the lips closed. So it starts from the throat into the mouth. Then the mouth is closed and the last M is pronounced. Om, Om. You can't say anything else. So that's how it's written as A-U-M. That's how you chant it. But when it's written, it's written as O-M, Om. So when you chant the mantra Om, it gives you a feeling of peace and harmony, as some people said. Can you read the next paragraph, please? Om is constituted of three sounds, three letters, A, U, and M. In, in Sanskrit grammar, A and U coalesce to form O. Thus, A, U, and M together is pronounced as Om. Even the mute can produce the sound of Om. A is a guttural sound. It emanates from the throat. There is no sound below the throat. U is the sound produced when it courses through the mouth. And M is where it ends when the lips close. There is no sound beyond that. Thus, Om covers the full range of sound, represents the entire phenomenon of sound. The chant of Om produces peace and harmony around. If you all chant Om, you will realize it starts from the throat, goes into the mouth, and then your mouth is closed. The mm sound is made. If you all try it, you'll understand exactly what this paragraph. I don't have to explain this paragraph. You just have to chant it, and you'll it'll be self-explained. Oh, oh. From here, it vibrates all the way until the mouth is closed. No other word can do that. No other symbol. The Om is used to represent the higher God, Brahman. Immediately makes you think of Brahman. When you chant it, immediately your body has a certain vibration. And this is the effect Om has. There's another reason Om is very powerful. We're going to go into that now. Any questions? Like I said, this is mainly procedural stuff, so um, not much uh, philosophy in here. Any any questions on that? Okay. Igna. Om symbolizes the pure consciousness, the consciousness that pervades the waking, dream, and deep sleep states. A represents the world experienced in the waking state of consciousness, while U represents the world of the dream state of consciousness, and M, the nothingness of the deep sleep state of consciousness. While chanting Om, the meditator must focus his concentration on that pure consciousness, the supreme self that supports the three states all through life. Om is the symbol for pure consciousness, Brahman, God. So we all 
we go through three states of conditioned consciousness. We're all aware of this. We've covered this. What are the three states of conditioned consciousness we go through? What are the three states of consciousness? Dharmesh? Waking, sleeping, deep sleep. We all go through that process. Those are conditioned consciousness. The self conditioned by those three states. By the body, the mind, intellect gives you those three states. So A in Om represents the waking state of consciousness. The U represents the doing state of consciousness. And the M, deep sleep state of consciousness. That is the significance of AUM. Those are the three states. So when you chant Om while meditating, you concentrate on the pure consciousness. Think of Brahman, God. So that is the meaning of Om. Focus on the pure consciousness, the Supreme Self that supports the three states of all through life. See, without the self, the spirit within you, those three states do not exist. You cannot go through those three states without the consciousness. The enlightening factor, the electricity that flows through everyone's body that makes you alive. That's what helps you to get through those three states of consciousness. There's more. Om. Magna. The mantra, word symbol Om, does not belong to any religion. It is merely a symbol of, of the ultimate reality. It represents the pure consciousness, the supreme God. It is nature's word, not subject to conjugation, inflection, or grammatical manipulation as other words are. Om occupies a very special place with reference to God. God is said to be omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. These words begin with Om. Even prayers in different languages end with Amen, Amin, which again is a reference to Om. So Om is a word used throughout many religions. It is a symbol representing the ultimate reality, God. Many words describing God begins with Om. We say omniscient. God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. We say God is omnipotent, almighty, powerful, that means. We say God is omnipresent, all-pervading, meaning everywhere. Even prayers in certain languages end with Om, begins with Om. See, those three words, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, they begin with the two letters O-M, Om. And what do those words describe? God describes Brahman. You see the special relationship Om has with God, the feeling of God, the thought, thinking of God, thought of God. Any questions? So it's a special, special term, Nigma. In the practice of meditation, the mind chants the mantra Om. 
Between every two successive chants, there is a momentary silence. That silence is known as amatra. The intellect discriminates between sound and silence, between mantra and amatra. As long as the chant lasts, there is thought flow, which establishes the presence of the mind. And with thoughts flowing, the pair of thought and silence exists for the intellect to continue operating. In the peak of meditation, the chant ends in silence. The thought flow ceases. The mind becomes extinct. There is no longer the pair of thought and silence. Consequently, the intellect ceases. Thus, the meditator transcends both the mind and intellect. His individual self merges with the Supreme Self and gains spiritual enlightenment. That's how it, how it functions when you meditate. The mantra Om is used in meditation. The mind chants Om, followed by silence. Om. 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 So the sound and the silence. Sound and silence. The intellect observes that. Sound, silence. Sound, silence. The intellect is observe, observing that, keeping the mind in its place. And in the height of meditation, the thought flow chant stops. You slowly, slowly chant Om. It becomes quieter, 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 and then it longer time between silence and the mantra Om, Om, until it completely stops. You're no longer chanting. The mind becomes extinct. Why? No thought flow. Intellect that was observing, there's nothing to observe. That goes away, disappears. Nothing to discriminate. And the meditator transcends both the mind and intellect, merges with the self. That is the process of how you get to the state of desirelessness, thoughtlessness, the state of self-realization. That is the process. Any questions? It's all given to you. What to do, how to do, three yogas, Vijisha desires, renunciation, concentration, develops concentration, very few desires, meditate, Om, Om, reach that goal, goal of a human being. That's the mantra Om and the significant role it plays. So the next uh, topic is procedural details. It just tells you how to, how to prepare yourself for meditation, how to sit, how to breathe, what time to meditate, the Mara when we use, why we use Mara to med when we're meditating, um, rosary, and how you reach that state of self-realization. So that's the next topic, which we're going to complete next week.
that'll be the end of the topic. Then the next chapter, we'll be looking at the state of self-realization, self-realized person, how he behaves, how he sees the world, which is very, very interesting. Any questions on this topic, what we discussed now, or anything else on what we've discussed before? Have you all been enlightened on the word, the mantra Om today? Yes, all I can say is wow. Intellect is in wonderment. When you say wow, that means the intellect is in wonderment. It receives knowledge that it blows it away. So it becomes in wonderment. When you say wow. <laughs> That's what it means. So that's the meaning of Om. Any other questions? Krishna Ben, you good? Now when you chant Om, you'll have a better idea of why you're chanting it and how what it means. We all say it. Emma? You good? Okay. Any questions? Uh, Shalom. Uh, this is what I felt today. It was diving into the ocean, I'm scuba diving and I'm going deeper and deeper into the ocean. And it felt really, really good and uplifting. I really have to thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Any other questions? Fatiman, you okay, Tamash? As I said, this is more of knowledge, understanding, you know, to, uh, to make you aware of all these things that we do without any thought, understanding of what it means. Yeah. So it will start a question. Okay, go on. Um, so at the beginning, you mentioned that any, any mantra can be used for self-realization. And we've discussed in detail about Om, but is the process of every mantra the same then? Yeah. So the observation of the mantra, silence, mantra, silence. Yeah. So she's asking, we've discussed Om as a mantra for meditation. Can we use any mantra? And as you said earlier, yes, you can use any mantra. Any mantra that makes you, that's easy for you. Any mantra that you're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be Om. Yeah, but because Om has such a meaning, and you can identify with it more, but you don't have to use that. The meditation is only a process. Silence, chant. Silence, chant. Intellect is aware of it. Silence, chant. Whatever that chant is, it's a process. It's irrelevant what mantra you use. That process is the same no matter what mantra you use. Is that okay? So, yeah. Is that okay? Good. Anything else? Anything general questions? The subject? We've got time. We can take it up. Well, you've all had enough. Then we'll call it a day. <laughs> okay.
fine, no problem. I will see some of you on Wednesday. And if not, I'll see some of you next Sunday. Have a, oh, one more thing, sorry. I keep forgetting to mention this. A few people have asked me about donation. They would like to donate towards the, cl the class. Now, talking about donations, I don't actually charge anything for these classes, but there is should be a sense of gratitude. See, in the olden days, when somebody used to impart the knowledge, the students used to serve the teacher in whichever way in the olden days. That isn't necessary in this day and age. But Guru Dachana, meaning gratitude for receiving this knowledge, has should be something in your mind. Now, it's not compulsory, but a few people have asked me about this. They said they'd like to donate something on a regular basis towards these classes. See, originally we, have, we were in a classroom environment. So everybody contributed a small amount to pay for the classes, classroom, the higher of the room, but that isn't the case anymore. So um, what we decided was there is an account open, which I think Ravi was in charge. Um, my suggestion was anybody feels that they want to donate some money towards these classes for their own purpose, then they can do so. And then we thought whatever money is, a, is accrued after a certain period of time, we can donate that to a charity or whatever we decide. Yeah. So that is a way of you giving back for receiving this knowledge. So therefore you're not, you see, if you're gaining something, you should give back. If not, it becomes a debt to you. You're receiving something and not giving anything back in return. It becomes a, a debt to you in some form. Yeah, in, in life, you should always give back. So I'm giving this knowledge out as a payment, as a, as karma. I'm doing this as karma. All the universe has given me and taught me, this is a way of me paying back for that by passing on this knowledge. It's a form of payment for myself. Similarly, when you receive this, you should have that attitude of gratitude. Yeah. It actually helps you to absorb this knowledge better. If you have that attitude, what he gave is irrelevant, but having that attitude is very important. So uh, I'll leave it to Ravi, I'll leave it to the group um, to take that further. Ravi, I'll leave it to you. So yeah, I'll, me I'll message in the group the details and so forth. And as, as, as you said, only get by, it's voluntarily and it's- Voluntary, I don't need to know it's more for you than for me, okay? And whatever's accured uh, will go to charity, whatever the group decides. So it's, it's up to you, it's nothing to do with me. But I'm just trying to accommodate the people who have requested it. Is that okay? Great. So this is very important that actually, by the way, yeah, for your own uh, spiritual development. Okay, on that note, I'll call it a day.
Thank you. Thank you.